Amen. Let me thank your minister, the Reverend Hamilton, very much for the warm words of welcome. It is a joy and a privilege to be here with you to renew fellowship again with the Lord's people. And we have really enjoyed our time here. It's hard to imagine, but the 10 days have passed so quickly. And we often say how quickly time flies and passes by. And we have certainly had a very blessed time. You've made us feel very welcome. We've enjoyed fellowship with the Lord's people. And it has been a real blessing to be here. I'd like to thank our brother Reverend Hamilton for his hospitality. He's been a very good host. He's looked after us exceedingly well, very well. And we do want to thank him in the Saviour's name. We will miss him. And we trust indeed that the Lord will continue to bless his servant, keep his hand upon him, grant to him that comfort, that grace and help in time of need. And we pray for your pastor that the Lord would indeed be his strength each and every day. We do remember you in the work here in Lehigh Valley and pray that the Lord will continue to pour out of his spirit. Brother mentioned that I work as a missionary to the addicted. It's a ministry that I've been involved in for quite a number of years now. I count it a privilege to serve the Lord in that capacity, reaching out to folks who have stubborn addictions, life-controlling habits, and we have certainly been greatly encouraged in that ministry and that work. It's wonderful to see men and women, young people, seeking the Lord, calling upon Him, repenting of their sins, crying to God for mercy, getting right with the Lord. And we thank the Lord for the help that has been given. Please do continue to remember us in prayer. And as we reach out to others, that we might have the joy of seeing lives transformed for one reason— for the glory of God, that the Lord will be glorified. That's what we long for, that lives will bear that testimony that the hand of the Lord hath done this. So thank you for remembering us in your prayers, and please continue to, to pray on that the Lord will pour out of his Spirit. Let's turn in our Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John, John chapter 10. And we're going to commence to read at the verse 1 in the chapter. John chapter 10, reading from the first verse. It commences with the verily, verily, truly, truly. Verse 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him. For they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, 
but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an harling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, saith the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The harling fleeth because he is an harling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. We'll end our meeting, reading there at the verse 14 and we trust and pray that the Lord will bless the reading of his word to our hearts for Jesus' sake. Let's just unite our hearts together briefly, momentarily in prayer asking that the Lord will speak personally and yet powerfully to each one of our hearts. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this gathering together of Thy saints. We thank Thee for the Lord's people. Thank Thee for the Lord's house. We bless Thee for this, the Lord's day. There's no people like Thy people. There's no book like the Lord's book. And Lord, there is no day like the Lord's day. And our Father, we are so blessed to be able to have this fellowship one with the other, but most of all to have this fellowship with thee. We ask, Lord, that thou wilt speak to each one of our hearts. Lord, let us know our need. We pray that the Holy Spirit tonight will minister to each and to every soul. Oh, it is our desire that much will be made of Christ. May he be exalted. We pray that the Lord Jesus would have the preeminence. O oh Lord, we pray that he would see the travail of his soul and be abundantly satisfied. Father, make much of Christ. Draw near to each one. Speak through thy word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. On numerous occasions, the Lord Jesus specifically upbraided the Pharisees, that religious sect, for their hypocrisy and for their erroneous teaching. Of course, the Pharisees were filled with self-righteousness. During his Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus Christ there, speaking to the multitudes who were gathered round about him, said, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then the Lord very clearly, very purposefully set forth the very fact that the righteousness that the Pharisees declared to possess and to have, it was a false righteousness. It was an empty righteousness. It was no righteousness at all. It was no basis or legal standing before the Lord in salvation 
self-proclaimed empty and false. We find that on many occasions and numerous times, the Lord Jesus Christ, he spoke very directly to the Pharisees and he upbraided them and he rebuked them. For instance, after the time, there was the, the healing of the young man who was both blind and dumb. The Pharisees, didn't they accuse the Lord Jesus of basically casting out the devil by and through the work of the devil, through Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. The Lord Jesus, his response was very distinct and clear. He said, O generation of vipers, that's strong language, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And what he was basically saying was, Oh, you're showing your true nature here. You're really declaring what is on the inside. And your hatred and your lack of righteousness, you're, you're declaring it openly. In Matthew chapter 23, the Lord Jesus speaking said, Woe unto you, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whitened sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. What a, what a very clear, vivid picture of the Pharisees. They appear to have that exterior self-righteousness and that standing before God. But inside, there was that corruption. And inside, there was that deadness. The Lord Jesus, responding to the claim that the Pharisees were offended by his words, they said, let, he said, let them be alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. And that's taken from Matthew chapter 15. The Lord there speaking very clearly. Didn't mince his words, as we would say. Very directly to them. Not only were they blind, blind to spiritual truth, blind to their own need, blind to those things, but they sought to lead others in that blindness. The word there for blind, it comes from the Greek word tufo. It means high-minded, lifted up in pride. And whenever the Lord Jesus therefore said to them, they be blind leaders of the blind, the Pharisees knew exactly what he was saying. You're high-minded. You're full of pride. You're lifted up in your pride. And you're blind through that pride. Now whenever we turn back to the passage here in John chapter 10, we also discover that this was the case, that the Savior himself was speaking about the false teaching and the deception of the Pharisees. The words of verse 10 in this chapter are very well-known verses. In fact, there are quite a number of verses here that, uh, especially when it comes to the memorization of Scripture, would stand to the fore as verses that uh, we, would, we would learn and you would, you would uh, commit to memory. Uh, and especially when working with children, I think of the, 
various meetings that I'm involved in with, with boys and girls as well and young people. And oftentimes these are key verses that they will learn. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. And certainly verse 10 is one of those very familiar verses from God's word. John 10 and verse 10, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now oftentimes those words are used and they're employed to describe the work of the devil. After all, he is a thief. He does rob. Satan does seek to destroy lives. We only have to look around us, don't we, in society, and we see most certainly the handiwork of the devil. We see his effect, his influence in lives and homes and society in general. And the breakdown within the home. I often see that on a daily basis. Lives affected, ruined through addiction. Of course, that's just, as it were, symptomatic of the real problem. The real problem being the heart of man. And so there is that sense in which the words of verse 10 can be used with reference to the devil. However, in their context, in context, these words are used to describe the work of Satan. He was referring here to the Pharisees. Notice what he says. The Lord Jesus used these words. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Can I say he spoke with specific reference using these words of the Pharisees. He's referring to the Pharisees. They're thieves. They're robbers. They sought to destroy the truth. He's speaking about false teaching, false doctrine, false righteousness from this religious sect. The events in John chapter 9, the preceding chapter, gives the necessary backdrop and setting for the context here of this setting, the Lord Jesus speaking these words. The Pharisees, of course, they sought to discredit the Savior, the healing of the blind man in John chapter 9. And the Lord Jesus, he rebukes him. He, re he reveals their sinful, their wicked hearts and their evil ways. He went on to speak of the very fact that he is the good shepherd. He is that true shepherd. He is that one true shepherd. He loves his sheep. He gives his life for his sheep. This evening I want us to think of the words of verse 10 with the reference to the life that there is in Jesus Christ. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Consider with me here the source of this life that Jesus Christ spoke about. He says, I am come that they might have life. Now here in John chapter 10, we find that the Lord Jesus mentions and speaks and uses the parable of the shepherd and the sheepfold. Vast difference between the shepherd in the West and certainly in the Middle East. Whenever I was growing up, I had opportunity at times to go onto the farm and to, to view the shepherd out at work. 
had an uncle who would have worked a bit with cattle and with sheep. And oftentimes you'd have seen the shepherd there uh, getting the sheep dogs and seeking to lead and to guide the sheep from one field to another, from one place to another. But of course in the Middle East, in the setting here, the biblical setting, the shepherd knew all of his sheep by name. He only had to speak their voice. They would hear their voice. They would follow him. They would respond to him. The shepherd loved the sheep. He protected them. He cared for them. At night time, he would bring those sheep oftentimes into what was known as a sheepfold, a sheep pen. Oftentimes a very high structure, maybe seven, eight feet high. Oftentimes made from stones. And they're bringing those sheep tenderly, caringly, bringing them into that place that he might provide for them a place of shelter, a place of refuge, a place of safety. Whenever the Lord Jesus Christ spoke those words, I am the door, he was speaking of the very fact that the shepherd there, he would not only bring the sheep into the sheep pen and into the sheepfold, but at night time, he would sit down there at the door, he became the door. There were no wild animals that could get in to attack them. The sheep could certainly not get out. They were safe and secure when they were inside of that pen. I am the door, Jesus said. By me, by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The Lord Jesus Christ is not a door to heaven. There are not many ways to heaven. There are not even a few ways to heaven. There is but one way to heaven, and that is through Christ. He said, I am the door. He is the source. He is the fountainhead of all blessings. Lord Jesus Christ said, I am come that they might have life. It makes it unmistakably clear. And when the Savior uttered those words, he was making it crystal clear that man by his very nature does not have life. You see, the life here spoken about, it's not physical life. We're all physically alive. hope we are. We're all physically alive, but the Savior here was referring to spiritual life. I am come that they might have life, spiritual life. Because man, by his very nature, is spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 verse 1 reminds us, And you have he quickened who were dead, dead in trespasses and in sins. Now we know that the corpse does not have any life, cannot respond, no spirit within it. There are various terms that the Lord Jesus Christ used to speak of the natural state of man. There are terms that we find in Scripture that very clearly set forth man's condition before the law. The Word of God, for instance, declares that man, by his nature, is unclean. He's lost, spiritually blind. And when I say man, I'm using the word man in that generic sense to refer to both men and women. Man is perishing. He's a sinner. He's unrighteous. He's under condemnation. 
He's alienated from God. Man without God is living without hope. He's an unbeliever. Man without the Lord is in darkness. And of course then, man without the Lord is dead in trespasses and in sin. We are sinners by birth, nature, and by practice. There is no man that sinneth not. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We know that whenever children are growing up, that a little child does not need to be instructed or taught to misbehave, to disobey, to break God's commandments. Now, of course, that's something we we seek to instruct, instruct our children and our grandchildren in the ways of righteousness and truth and to honor God and to do right. But the child, by its very nature, is going to do wrong. Doesn't need to be taught to disobey. Remember being in a, a house one day, I was visiting with a family. There was an addiction issue in the home. And the little granddaughter... She wasn't just getting the attention that she really desired. And so she folded her arms. She began to stamp her feet and huff. And then she began to, well, make it known that she was unhappy. And I couldn't help but think, there's a little child in just showing the very nature. We're sinners by birth, by nature, and by practice. We're dead in trespasses and in sins. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he came into the world, praise God, to save sinners. The word of God reminds us of this very fact that he is the source of life. The reality is man needs spiritual life. For man is dead in trespasses and in sins. Notice what the Lord Jesus Christ said. He said, The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life. I am come. Praise God for the coming of our blessed Savior into the world. We rejoice in his incarnation. We rejoice in his purpose in coming into the world. He came to live a perfect life. He came to be that perfect sacrifice. He came there to die for our sins, the just for the unjust, the holy for the unholy. Why? That he might reconcile us to God. That we might be at one with God. And life is only only in Christ. He is the source of all life. He's the source of eternal life, spiritual life. The church cannot bring us that life. Confirmation, good works, works of self-righteousness. I know that back home in Northern Ireland, we have sadly a lot of folks who would fall into the category of being very self-righteous people. My father would have been one of, those, one of those people. 
He didn't drink, smoke, swear, didn't live an outward and moral life. Went to church, read his Bible, said his prayers, but was still in his sins. Praise God, I had the joy of seeing him converted, seeing him saved. 85 years of age. You see, salvation is not by what we do, by the works of our hands. It's not what we, we don't do, a set of rules and regulations. It's in Christ. And what Christ has wrought in his once-for-all sacrifice for sin. The source of this life, it's in Christ. I am come. I am come that they might have life. I want you to also, moving along, I want you to think of the scope of this life. The Lord Jesus Christ, praise God, he extends that free offer to men and women who need, need eternal life. I am come that they might have life. Remember reading, oh, many years ago, the true story of a very amazing encounter and meeting providentially. The story of a preacher by the name of Roland Hill. He was preaching in a park in London to a large gathering, to a large assembly. Lady Anne Erskine was passing by in her carriage. She asked her footman, she said, what is taking place? Lady Anne, it's the famous preacher Roland Hill. She had heard a good deal about him and she thought she would like to see him and to hear him. And so she directed her coachman to drive near to the platform. When the coach drew near. Roland Hill saw the insignia there of the coach. And he recognized that it was nobility. And he asked who was the noble lady on board the carriage. To which he was told it was Lady Anne Erskine. They'd done something very, very unusual. Roland Hill said, stop, my friends. I have something to auction. Now, the idea of a preacher suddenly becoming an auctioneer made the people wonder what was happening, what was taking place. There was a dead silence fell over the gathering of people. He said, I have more than a title to auction more than a crown of Europe to sell. I wish, he said, to auction the soul of Lady Anne Erskine. Do I hear any bid for her soul? The people were speechless. Then he said, Oh, I hear the bid from the world. I will give her pomp and vanities with this present life. She shall be a happy woman. She shall be very rich, have many admirers, and shall go through this life with many joys. Ah, oh, but, O oh world, the preacher said, her soul is an everlasting thing. It's a poor price that you're offering against 
and for her soul. Is there anyone else who will bid for the soul of Lady Anerskine? He said. You could just imagine being there that day and listening to the preacher do this very unusual thing. Is there another bid? Oh, I hear the voice. It is the voice of the old serpent, the devil himself. I hear him bid. I will let her enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. She shall indulge in in everything her heart has desired and shall set itself to. She shall have everything that she sets her eye to and that can possibly give fleeting pleasure. Ah, but Satan, what will you do for her forever? You shall not have her because what you give is an insignificant price for her. Here comes another, he said. It is the Savior himself. It's not what I will give. It's what I have given. I've given my life. I've given my blood. I've given my all. I will give to her heaven forever. I will give her grace in her heart both now in glory and throughout all eternity. O Lord Jesus Christ, said Roland Hill, thou shalt have her. Then he turned to Lady Anne Erskine. He looked her in the eye and he said, Lady Anne Erskine, do you object to the bid? It's recorded. She was speechless. She got out of her carriage. She fell down upon her knees. And she cried to God for mercy to save her. She became a great friend and a help to the needy. And a great ambassador for the gospel. The gospel, you see, is for the whosoever will. It's for the rich, the poor, the Jew, the Gentile. Salvation, eternal life is freely offered to all. Whosoever will may come. It's offered to the up and out, the self-righteous, and also to the down and out. The spiritual life here in our text knows no national boundaries, isn't limited to a certain group of people. Salvation is freely presented to the rich and poor, to all. Tonight, eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, is offered to you as a free gift this evening. Whilst it is a free gift, it has been purchased with greatest price. What shall wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Just in closing, I want us to consider the satisfaction of this life in Christ. For the Lord Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The greatest need that each and every man and woman has is to to know God, to be saved. To have spiritual life. To be rescued. To be saved from wrath to come. 
Let me put it very simply. To have Jesus Christ as Savior is to have everything. That's what it means to be a Christian. You've got everything. You have everything. Consider what it means to be in Christ. What the Lord has done for the guilty soul. You see, instead of being lost, praise God the sinner is found when they repent, they turn to the Lord. Those of us who are born again were saved by the grace of God. Oh, we once were lost, but now are found. We were far away from God, but we've been now made nigh and brought nigh by the blood of Christ. We once were in darkness, but we're now, praise God, in light. We were dead in trespasses and in sins, but are now made alive in Christ. We were condemned and under God's wrath, facing eternal judgment, facing hell. But we're no longer under, under condemnation. Why? Because Jesus Christ has paid it all. He's paid the full price for our sin. We were under sin's dominion and power. We're now the servants of the Lord. We were living without hope, having no hope. But now we can confess and say, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, what a difference the gospel makes. It's a difference between life and death. Christ and the world, heaven and hell, abundant life, eternal life. Jesus Christ satisfies. What a saviour he is. I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. For years, I was looking for life. The purpose to life, the meaning for life. Fulfillment in life, satisfaction in life. But looking in the wrong place. Then I came to Jesus, Jesus Christ, weary, worn, and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me God. Do you know Christ as Savior? I am come that you might have life. Spiritual life, eternal life, lasting life. That you might have it more abundantly. Do you know Christ tonight? Have you turned to the Lord? Sought him with your heart? The Bible reminds us to taste and see that the Lord, he is good. To think of the very fact that the Lord has saved us from eternal wrath, punishment. There upon the cross, our blessed Savior paid that price and bore our full load. He not only experienced the wrath of God, but praise God, he has extinguished it. The sacrifice there consuming the fire.
but much more. Not only has Christ saved us from the penalty and power of our sin, but he's given to us as his people everlasting life. What a price. The precious blood of Christ. The very morning that I was converted by faith to Christ, I mentioned this last week. It's something that I, you know, I I never, never want to tire from thinking about. I never want to get used with being saved. I never want to come to the point where it's not fresh and it's not real. Remember that very morning when the reality of what Christ had done for me broke my heart. Only what I could describe was into a million pieces. That love, that mercy, that grace. Do you know the Lord? Come to Christ. Trust him. What a wonderful saviour he is. I've often said to folks in addiction. And I've often said to young people. You'll never, never, never regret. The day. You give your life to Christ. What about you? I trust That if you're not saved, this very night, you will call upon the name of the Lord. Be saved. You'll rest in Christ. Be born again of the Spirit of God. What life there is in the person and work, the Son of God. May God bless his word to our hearts. I'm going to hand back over to the Reverend Hamilton. Thank you, brother.